Hello, Sobertown, and welcome to another Sobertown podcast. My name is Polly, and I welcome you aboard the Sober Train that takes us into the wonderful world of sobriety. I have a very special guest with me this evening. I have Mr. Steve Kay. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Polly. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, sir. We are going to chat about your journey to your almost seven months. But before we do, I just need to give a shout out to the I Am Sober app, where all of us met and such a beautiful community of love and support. Um, anyone who needs uh, some support during sobriety, please download from the App Store, the I Am Sober app. You get a, a day counter. You can find your own tribe, your own community during this journey. Because when you start posting, you find you pick up people along the way and they support you along the way. And from the I Am Sober app came the SobertownPodcast.com. And SobertownPodcast.com is a one-stop shop. We have blogs from a wonderful Australian guy called Todd. And Todd, um, very busy, very busy family man, but he takes time to do these blogs. He not only types his blogs, he also does them in audio. So if you're riding in the car, running, walking, whatever, you can listen. Or if you like me, I like to do both. I like to read and listen. Um, immersive. And that is my new word for sobriety is you have to become immersive in your sobriety. You have to immerse yourself totally into it. So go to SoberTownPodcast.com and start building your toolbox from all the resources there. So I am going to be chatting tonight, as I said, with Steve Kay very kindly is going to tell us about his journey into sobriety. And if you'd like to, where would you like to start on this? Because you're going to be the driver on the bus and I'm going to be the conductor. So. Well, I didn't start driving or even think about driving the bus until I got sober, I guess. <laughs> um, somebody else was driving it. Um, anyways, um, I don't know. I guess I can start with a, a little bit of um, yourself where you you know your early life yeah i'll start like growing a little bit of growing up because there mm -hmm. is some a little bit of importance there i think um like my parents i got wonderful parents um i you know i would think or when i think about it you know a typical um <clears throat> mother father and i got a younger sister um we moved up into the northern area of our province and uh, when we, we were very little. So I don't even remember being in where I was, like the town I was born in. But uh, I remember being up there and I remember really, really enjoying it. And then we moved to uh, a bigger city and a bigger environment. And so changed schools. And I remember living... Uh, at that point in time, we lived in a basement apartment and we were, I was still like, you know, being babysitters and that sort of thing. And that part, all of that really young time was, was, uh, I don't have any bad memories or from like, they're all good, normal, happy, normal <laughs> memories. Yeah. And then until uh, I get into a little bit, you know, grade six, grade seven kind of uh and i don't know if i just got bored at school or whatever it was or you know that's when things started to you know i think my dad and i started to clash 
How old were you at this time? Uh, I don't know. Early I, teens? Probably, yeah, early teens. Yeah, uh, I can tell you I've got three sons. I remember all the father-son clashes. It's perfectly normal. Yeah, and <laughs> and so we had those, but we also had our time, like we had the Nintendo and Super Nintendo and that sort of thing, and, and, I, and I played hockey. I played a lot of hockey. Um, so... I remember a lot of good times, even though my father and I would argue um, and that sort of thing. I remember those good times when we, we would sit down and play like NHL 94 or something like that. And we would mm-hmm. just play it and play it and play it. And those were like, no matter what, I always came back and I always like I never held the grudge. Right. And I always came it's back not- and. It's just not worth holding grudges. Right, right. And and so we always came back and that was what brought us together was was like playing Nintendo together and nice. making teams and stuff like that. Yeah. And as time went on and as I, you know, I get my teens, well, we carried on, continued on arguing and and it got worse and it got more emotional. And um, I remember my dad, him, myself and my dad, I guess I should slow down a little bit and and say i i forget what age it was it was probably somewhere around nine or ten years old i i developed uh epilepsy okay um i remember sitting in the back of the car on the way up to my uncle's place and i would sit in the back of the car and my head would go to the side and just sit there and, and go back and forth and back and forth. And it lasts like 30 seconds. And my mom's like, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Cause it didn't hurt. Right. And then it happened again on the same mm-hmm. car ride. And she's like, okay, something, something ain't right with this kid. Right. So um, a mother's instinct. <clears throat> yeah. So, <laughs> you know, go see the doctor and blah, blah, blah ends up, you know, I'll go see a neurologist and, I go through every machine possible for the most part, or that's what it felt like when I was a kid in the hospital to try and figure out, you know, what was causing it. They gave me some medication and that seemed to stop that. And if I missed a pill or whatever, now you can imagine a kid in school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, middle of the class, out of nowhere, teacher asks you a question and boom, your head goes to the side. Everyone's looking at you and you're answering the question. Right. And you can't control where your head is pointed. Right. And so I was the weird kid. Were you bullied for it? I I was pushed around. Yep. I was pushed around a little bit. And I remember being pushed into snowbanks. I remember riding my bicycle to school and having a seizure on my bike, my head going to the side and, and driving my bike into the side of a parked car. Dangerous. Yeah, flying over the side of it and then walking back across back in front of the bus stop with all the kids in front of the bus stop, and I still remember them all laughing at me. Right? Yeah. As kids, we can be very cruel. Oh Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's and a lot of the time it's not meant with malice either. It's just it's what kids do, it's how kids behave. And um I know my own boys probably did it 
because no kid is perfect. <laughs> no, no. I know. I I probably laughed at kids when they got hurt too. Yeah. Um, you know, someone anyway. walks into the lamppost and you everybody bursts out laughing, and the person who does this is embarrassed to hell. So yep. you know, yeah. So carry on. So uh, ends up, I was about, I was fifteen years old. I was just about to, you know, I'm coming up on being sixteen and. Just school, just about to start, and I end up having three ground mouth seizures in in one day. Like, I I remember the first one in the house, the second one in the house, and the third one was in the car on the way to the hospital. My dad okay. carried me into the in into the car, and off we went. And I don't I I, th- I think I slept for like twenty four hours after that. And they were trying to wean me off the medication to see if puberty actually had done its thing and because there was potential for that to be um possible like the chemical changes in your brain uh i could grow out of it essentially well Mm -hmm. not at that point so put me back on the medication and off i went right well the medication uh specifically says do not mix with alcohol so there's another importance in there because come time to go to parties with friends and that sort of thing i did not touch it because i was deathly afraid of having a grand mal seizure like that yeah. was not a fun experience that i wanted to repeat again right it was still way too fresh mm-hmm. in my mind so um i just never felt like i never i didn't feel like i fit in Right? I go to the parties and everybody else is doing their thing. And, and at that age, you know, I didn't hang out with any crowd. I didn't have a crowd. I had changed schools a couple of times and I was, I always made friends easily, but they were just acquaintance friends, right? I'd mm-hmm. say hi to this person and say hi to this person. And then it wasn't until, um, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. He's, he's now my brother-in-law, but, uh, Mary, he married my sister uh but he was my best friend and he's still my best friend to this day but he's the only person that i've really uh, i've carried a a friendship since that that age everybody else has just come and gone Mm -hmm. right so you went through your early teens when people are experimenting with alcohol and other substances and you went through feeling the odd person out because mm-hmm. you were deathly afraid to touch anything like that with the medication for fear of these seizures. How long did that go on for? That went on till I was about 19. Okay. Um, it took me a little bit to try and remember when that was because I, my first drink is either 19 or 20. I think it was 19. And anyways, I... I'm the way I remember it was being out at a bar with some buddies and I never really had a drink before or, or like enjoyed the taste. Like I, I, I had had sips, but nothing that, you know, ever meant, let me, you know, woohoo, this is the greatest stuff ever. Right. I had a conversation actually. I'm going to interrupt you there. I had a conversation. Oh God, I have a lot of conversations, don't I? Mm-hmm. And I asked people, because we were talking about people drinking and how we get into that. And it is a habit because no one ever likes their first drink. 
But in order to fit in, you carry on and you keep going and you're teaching yourself to like it and you're teaching yourself to do it. Till in the end, your brain is knowing that what this is for. Nobody likes their very first drink. It stinks and it tastes horrible. <laughs> yeah, just like coffee, right? Mm-hmm. That first time you drank that, I didn't like it either until I no. threw a whole bunch of sugar and milk in it. Mm-hmm. You, you can make anything taste good. <laughs> That's about, yes. Sorry, back to this, back, back to this age 19 and in the pub. Oh, yeah, so, so yeah, I didn't enjoy mm. it. And and so, mm. you know, I tried beer, didn't like that. And tried one of those hard mixed mm. drinks and eventually that was the stuff because it had some sweetness to it that I started drinking but I don't I don't ever remember it being like this aha this stuff is the best it was just one of those okay I'm drinking now I'm fitting in right and now I it's I you know it's liquid courage yeah right and so it was you get a couple two or three of those into you and then you can get up on the dance floor and you can Say hi to a, a, <laughs> another woman, right? Yeah. Not just sit there and stand in your sit in your bar stool, mm-hmm. you know, just watching every, you know, Obs- being an walk. observer. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, she it. looks good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was nice, um, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> I think I guess, you know, and I think you are describing the life of many, many people at that age, many, many young guys at that age, or even many young women. Because a lot of them say that they started drinking in order to fit in, to be part of the social crowd. Yeah. Um, so, and those those alcopops Alka, we used to call them, they were the worst thing they ever brought out because uh, the girls got into the alcopops as well because they were sweet and I can't stand them. Sorry, <laughs> I don't like them. <laughs> So, yeah, I can understand those. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you got your liquid courage up. Yeah, so what happened was, is, you know, I had those first couple of drinks and then I'd go home and and wake up the next day and I didn't have a seizure. So then you'd go out again with the boys and then have another three or four more or whatever it is. Wake up the next morning, take my medication, didn't have a seizure. Oh, I can drink and take my medication and not have a seizure. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. The doctor was telling me fibs. Right. Yeah. All right. Like I, mm-hmm. I was scared of it at that point and now I'm not right. So now it's like green light, right? Green light. Number one, yep. that self-realization. Well, then I graduate college and in college it was this, it was the same. Like I still didn't really fit in. I never really did. I tried to, right. It, it gave me the courage to like go and talk to, if you want to call them the cool kids or whatever it was, but I I never really fit into that group. I, I I just tried to fit in. Mm -hmm. So college was much the same. I never really partied a whole lot or anything like that. Um, and then after I graduated college, I went straight to work. <clears throat> like I only had like three days off and mm-hmm. straight in, straight into work. So I moved out of the house at this point. My mother was always, you know, so loving and so kind. And she always like, Steve, did you take your medication? Steve, did you take your medication? <laughs> All the time. 
like constant making sure that I took it. Well, once I moved out, it didn't take too long for me to just forget to take the medication. And then, then I would remember I forgot. So then I would take it. And then eventually I just stopped taking. I went one whole year without taking it and drinking. So it was shift work. So I had had, I would have three days on and three days off. Right. No, no seizures, work. no seizures, nothing. Uh-huh. Okay. So I, I thought to myself, okay, I, I, I drank a whole bunch. I partied a whole bunch at this point in time. I, and I had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, maybe I should go and see my doctor. So I make a, uh, an appointment to go see my family doctor. And my, I tell my family doctor, this is, this is what's happening, right? I, I didn't say, like, I drank a whole lot or anything like that. I said, Cause I wasn't drinking a whole lot. It was just at parties and stuff like that, which at that age. Not, yeah. Not consistently just on the social scene. Yes. Yeah. Not like drinking by myself or anything like that. It was mm-hmm. always with friends and, and yeah. events and that sort of thing. Um, and then I said, I, I see my doctor and my, my doctor says that like, here's, I, uh, he's, I said, you know, I haven't taken a med- any of my medication in a year. Is there anything I should do? He says, nope, just keep doing what you're doing. Okay, so. <laughs> Another green light. <laughs> <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right? Party you, on. You, you see where that's <laughs> starting to add up, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, another green light. Mm-hmm. And, and so off to the races. Right? I don't know. I stopped worrying about it whatsoever now because the doctor told me I. It's all okay. I didn't have to. Yeah, that's it. If the doctor so, says it's okay, then it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then um, now we're talking 24, 25 years old. I'm, I'm 20, I think I was 24 when I met my wife, my, my still now current mm-hmm. wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go on and I, we buy a, like, living in the same house and all that after a couple of years we got married and i would call it uh late night is what i called it which was the night before my first night shift and i started i started inviting like a buddy over and then we would play xbox or whatever it is and we i would just we would just drink both of us would just drink and stay up until four in the morning because i didn't have to work until later on the day next right like the day after i could sleep the yeah. hangover off i started looking forward to that i'm like ooh, next late night is in like eight days right i started looking forward to that and i yeah. started making sure i had beer for it and i started like that was the thing and then you know i would plan uh ice fishing trips and i would plan those and and those were all drinking events right get-togethers at cottages they were all drinking events that i got excited for and i and i look back now and it was that was part of the reason mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and right? yeah and you were starting to build a routine yes and i was building that routine mm-hmm. and that was yeah. the late nights was the routine that mm-hmm. this is when i you know think back that's where it kind of all started but it it was very progressive slowly progressive right where and then um i I got married and and then 
we had, we decided, and this was in uh, our early thirties that we were going to start a uh, family. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, I mean, the more pressure that came with life, right. The more I drank, the more you wanted to escape from it. Yes. Right. So it is an escape. Yeah. And so married and then now I'm in my early thirties and this is where it starts getting messy. This is where you've got to try and start being an adult. Yes. (laughs) This is where it's time to grow up. Yeah. It's hard. Yes. So, Mm -hmm. uh, we try to have our first child and that did not work out. So, um, the, our, our first child was a miscarriage. It was okay. That's a uh, tough one. It was a, it wasn't even a baby. Let's put it that way. It, it was, it was a partial molar pregnancy. And, and so it, I mean, you're excited to have a kid and all of that stuff. And then you go to the first ultrasound and boom. I can relate because, um, Yes, I had what they call a non-viable pregnancy that had to be terminated. So I can totally relate to um, the excitement and uh, the joy that comes with the fact that there's a new life coming into the world. So, yes, I can totally relate and I can totally relate to the devastation afterwards. It's, it's, it's one of life's really, really tough, tough um, parts of the emotions that go with it are, are a real struggle and it's hard. And uh, men have always been taught to stiff up a lip and this, that, and the other. So they don't have an outlet for the emotions that come with this. 100%. So it's and, hard. Yeah. And I, I wanted, I remember wanting to talk about it. I remember wanting to, to, talk about it but nobody would talk about it I'm like what do you mean miscarriages happen all the time well we don't we, people just don't talk about it and I'm like well it it happens all the time why why don't we talk about it? well that's just what we don't do we don't we don't we don't okay, talk well, about painful emotions is right what it and used to be not so much now yeah. no not now at all that's, that's a completely different story we'll get yeah. there yeah <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's, I think that's actually a generational thing as well because um, the nature of the way people were brought up was you you know you didn't you just didn't talk about it you put it behind you and you got on with life. Suck but, it up, buttercup. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So these painful emotions are hard to deal with, and we all want to run away from them. So you ran away from them. Yeah, I ran away from that. And what came along with that was uh, a whole bunch of testing for my wife to make sure that she didn't have cancer. Because there's there's potential that there could be mastocyte, it could mastocyze. And then Mm -hmm. there's a whole nother can of worms. So now we can't even try again. Because we have to wait, we were told a year before we could even give it a try because of the mm. potential for complications. Yes. Right. So we got through that and that was stressful because there's you know, every, I mean, the I can only imagine, 
I can only imagine my wife because every time she goes to get a blood test, she's reminded of it. And every time she tells me she's got a, a blood test, I'm, I'm reminded of it. Right. So you're reminded of it constantly. And we didn't talk about it. Right. We, we and it. I we, think some of that is because you don't want to hurt each other because mm-hmm. the pain is so intense inside that neither one wants to bring it up and make the pain even worse. So we bury it down. Yep. So yes. that's, that's now we're getting to when my drinking started to uh, really progress. So um, somewhere in there, right. Cause I was, I was always afraid of uh, drinking and driving always afraid of it like don't drink and drive mm-hmm. that's a bad thing right yeah um somewhere in there those late nights turned into if a, if a friend didn't come over i just got drunk on my own right i think once you've from the very first time you drink on your own you're sort of giving yourself permission yes that it's okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and then and so the so this habit is now building and building and building and the little gremlin in the head wants it more and more. So, yeah. Yep. And then so, and then then came like the first time I actually had a drink in a in in a vehicle, sitting in the back seat, mm-hmm. having a having a roadie. Right. It's like wow, I just drank while somebody else was driving. Well, there was the green light. Now I realized mm-hmm. that it was okay to drink inside of a vehicle. Right. So you've now had three green lights. Yep. And, and then eventually I just, it was easy to drink in inside of my own vehicle because nobody knew about it. Mm-hmm. Right. It was, I could hide it. Right. And so began, I think I was given a gift or something it was a bottle of booze that ended up in my truck and I didn't take it out and it was still in my truck and here I am driving to work and I and I'm like oh look at this so I opened it up and take a swig done here we go off to the races and when that happened here I just started that was my home that was my place and and also, your wife didn't see you doing it. So, exactly. I, nobody could tell me I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. It was secret. And, and it, it wasn't that bad. Like, I didn't drink a whole lot, but I was drinking. And then, and then we have our first, our first child. And I was about 34 at that time. I'm 39. Um, after she was born, things got real life changed big time. I, I love my daughter. <laughs> the responsibilities right? that come with the child. Yes. Right. I love her to bits. And, uh, but I didn't like what she did to my life. I didn't. Res- I, responsibility. I couldn't do the things that I used to like doing. All, all of my free time was taken away by my child. I mean, that, that's, try saying that. And like, that hurts now when I say it, you know what I mean? Like, it's but, almost like resenting your own child, isn't it? A hundred, hundred percent. Like mm-hmm. I, 
I I swear I had the male version of postpartum depression. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's not going to happen because it's a life changing event mm-hmm. for both the husband and the wife or the man and the woman. It's a life changing event to have a child. You know, you go, and, and I remember my first husband saying, don't you give me that baby to hold? I'll drop it. I, you know, I'll break it sort of thing because you've got this tiny little human being that you are now responsible for. And last week you were able to go where you wanted, drink when you wanted and do all that kind of stuff. And now you think I can't do it. Yep. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And I started drinking a lot more a lot more than mm-hmm. th- that just carried on. So now I'm, I'm drinking on my way to work and I'm drinking uh, on my way home and I'm, I'm snake sneaking sips of whatever hard stuff we have in the house uh, in the liquor cabinet throughout the day. You know what I mean? I'm, and then that that just carries on and that just continuously gets worse right now and then a year later i have i have we have another child and that just compounded it even more so like the pressure of the pressure of life just kept on going and mm-hmm. within yeah. all of that i went from working shift work to i getting a promotion and being in a supervisory role Right. Because I'm trying to change like through this, I'm trying to change something in my life because I think it's going to make it better and easier. Right. Not realizing. Just, you know what I'm getting mm-hmm. at? Yeah. Right? Uh, the, the, and were you drinking daily and did your wife know about it at this time? Was she worried? No. about? She didn't know. No. Well, she I think she started really realizing it when um the first child or i'll tell this story is i mean i was drinking in my vehicle and i would go to work um and this is after my third promotion now because i I was picking up my kid my daughter from daycare so now i'm in a lead role at at my work instead of a supervisory role and so when I was in the supervisory role, it was still, I was still drinking, going there and back, but not near as much. And as soon as I got into this nine to five uh, or work day, Monday to Friday, yeah. right now it got really real. It, I, you know, picking up, stopping at the liquor store on my way home, picking up a couple of bottles, hiding them. And then picking my daughter up from daycare. And the one time I picked my daughter up from daycare and like I picked her, I, uh, I got to daycare, I picked her up and I picked her up and she went right over my shoulder and hit the ground. Like the, 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 the floor. Yeah. How did you and feel? Horrible. Absolutely horrible. I was crying. I was drunk. I was crying in the daycare and now I'm thinking, how the heck can I get out of here? So nobody finds out that I'm drunk. That's what I'm scared of. I'm, so, I'm scared of my, my child too, but I'm, I, I want to get out of there. Before anybody sees. 
before anybody knows. It, it's a sense of shame, isn't it, as well? Mm-hmm. You've got this huge sense of shame. I'm picking up my child, but I'm picking up my child and driving while I'm drunk. Mm-hmm. I am responsible for this small person, but I can't even be responsible for myself. And, and, and it, 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 it's just a whole vicious cycle that happens and you getting your promotions and trying to looking for something that you can hang on to that maybe will improve things that you're not going to drink so much. Yeah, it's, it was, you know, if I change this, maybe life will get easier. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Right. And it didn't get any easier. It just got more and more difficult. And I made it more and more difficult the more I drank. And did you, did you pick her up and get her home? Yeah, I like I I grabbed her off the floor. She's screaming. I can still hear the smack of the of her hitting the floor. Like when I think about it, and it just gives me the eebie-jeebies, mm-hmm. right? And I picked her up, put her in. The, I I got her calmed down. She didn't have any welts or any anything on her head. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she was she was okay there, no bumps or anything like that. And I was like, ooh, you know, dodge the bullet there. Um, hop back in the truck and I, I'm, I'm trying to remember if I drank on the way home and I'm pretty sure I did. Um, and I went and stopped and pick up French fries because that little girl loved French fries. And that was mm-hmm. like me trying to, you know, trying to, you know, make buy yourself, the guilt yeah. yeah, buy the guilt away here. Oh, I'll buy you something that you like. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I, I'm taking back roads just in case somebody calls the cops. Right. Yep. And like, definitely not proud of any of that, right? Like it's, it's. This is hard to talk about, isn't it? Because this is for people to hear and it's heartbreaking and people don't understand how much this hurts us to put ourselves. It, it, it's like, take it. You're totally exposing yourself. And I, I am so proud of you for doing this because this is not easy folks listening this is this is us putting our shame on show and it it's it's so tough it really really is it's heartbreaking and I know the feeling because I've driven my husband to and from clinics I've got a disabled husband and most nights I couldn't even remember putting him to bed he can't put himself to bed. He goes to dialysis three days a week. He goes to clinics that are 40 miles away. And I'd be driving and I knew I was over the limit. I wasn't drinking in the car, but I'd only have a few hours sleep. So I'd never slept my alcohol off. So I know exactly the shame, the feelings of shame that come with this and having to put this out there for people in the hopes that someone else will realize you're not the only one. We've all felt that feeling like that. So what happened after? So like I'm still just reeling with 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 guilt and you know, I, I'm getting home and I'm telling I tell my wife that, you know, I, I I more or less tell her like she pushed off of my shoulder. Right. I'm trying mm-hmm. to not look guilty now. 
Um, and the next day I, I called in sick. I was, I, I was, I was really hung over. I called in sick. Um, and I just told my work that I was up late because my daughter was hurt. And more so, guilt on top of more guilt. Oh yeah. You just, it just stacks. Right. So, yes. and the, the next day or that next day, a cop shows up. One of the, one of the other people at the daycare had smelled booze on me and cop came and said hi and said that somebody had noticed and blah, 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 blah. And well, the cop can't do anything. The cop just said, well, if you did that, maybe you should think about getting help. Right. And that's what, mm-hmm. the, that's what, that's yeah. what the cop said. Right. Yes. Not even close to a light bulb moment for me. Not even close. It scared me, scared the crap out of me, but it didn't scare me enough to say enough was enough. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it didn't, I don't think it took me very long to drink again shortly after that. And, you know, I started drinking on a daily basis to the point where I was drinking a bottle a day throughout the day and then I would have you know half a glass of wine or half a bottle of wine at home or you know I whatever was available you know I'd bring a a bottle of wine up for for supper and you know my wife would turn around and say like we had wine already four times this week we don't need another bottle and I was like oh mm. you know you make up the next excuse right yeah oh I thought it would go well with you know the pasta yeah you know? and then so I mean it really got to the point where like I was anxious I was I I was blaming everybody else stress I, the stress yeah trying to pay the bills, the mortgage is coming in. Um, Well, so-and-so I had an argument with, so I need to go and relax. And the the book of excuses is Mm -hmm. endless, endless. And by this time, you're doing exactly what a lot of us have said. We never get sober. All we're doing each day is topping up. It's like keeping your tank half full Mm -hmm. all the time. That's all you're doing. You're just topping yourself up every day. It's, you never really get sober. No. And like that whole time I'm, I'm becoming less and less emotionally available. And, you know, I'm, you're just going through the motions. You're doing what I, I, you do. I was doing what I would, I had to do. And that was it. How was your relationship with your two little girls? I, it was, I wasn't a good dad. I wasn't, I, I changed diapers and I, I tried what I thought was the best. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I think I had a good relationship with them. Like, but I wasn't emotionally available for them either. Right. Could you go running around? Could you go running around the block with them or? Um, I would. I, oh, I dragged my butt around <laughs> and it was difficult. It was a, 
it was a lot of work. It was slog. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I have a nap in the middle of the day when they were napping. Right. And that was like drinking nap is what it was. Yes. It had nothing to do with, you know, it was opportunity to try and sleep some of it off and do nothing around the house compared to now. Mm-hmm. Ain't no napping now. No. What got you to the point of, I can't do this anymore? So I got to the point where every morning, I want to share this because this is, it's just disgusting, right? Where we get to and, yep. and I'm disgusted by it. Absolutely. Dis- I'm disgusted by a lot of the things that I did, but I'm, you know, I would wake up in the morning. We ended up separating beds. She was sleeping upstairs. I was sleeping downstairs and, um, uh, I wake up every morning at about five o'clock in the morning, horrible between five and five 30. And I would be throwing up for the next, I would be nauseous. I would be whatever it was. I'd be throwing up for the next 15 minutes, something like that. I drink water. So I wouldn't be dry. Even like it was, it was every morning. Toilet becomes your best friend. It was my best friend. It Every... becomes your best friend. And here's something people that they say, well, I throw up and I got um, headaches and I was dehydrated. But excuse me, how many times a day did you look for the nearest toilet to sit on? Because alcohol does not work well with your body. No. Sorry. No. No. That's one thing people don't talk about. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Yeah, that's the worst. I got yeah, not go with that. And so every morning you would wake up and you'd be violently ill. Yeah, to the most part. And then I, you know, I'd, I'd have a shower and you know slap myself awake a little bit and go upstairs, grab my coffee, try and scoot past everybody, get, give the hugs and say have a good day, and then get out to the truck and and then. Instant replay all over again. Bottle in the truck. Yep. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then on the weekends, I mean, it was whenever I could get to it. Plain and simple, right? That's Mm -hmm. It was horrible. And then somebody was looking out for me because my wife never, we've always had separate credit cards and separate everything else. And on March 13th, she decided that she would look at my credit card bill. Why? I have no idea. Things she, always happen for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and by this time, I was getting like, I was I I was an employee for a long time, and I wasn't a good employee. I wasn't even a partner. Did you have good relationships at work, even though you were drinking a lot? Or I did you I, not? No, my reviews. Do the minimum. Yeah, I mean, and and my reviews went to the point like people were calling me abrasive, right? Mm-hmm. The only way I could, you know, I would, I would try and win every argument and control every situation I possibly could, and that's be- yeah, that's because uh, the alcohol has taken control of everything else. You try and grasp control back somewhere, right? But it's an illusion. Hundred percent. It's an exactly. illusion. So wife finds the credit card. 
wife finds his credit card bill and she actually found it in the afternoon god bless her heart she was her sister was over and she she stayed calm all afternoon she waited for the kids to get to bed and and then she just said steve i want to talk to you and we uh she's like can you explain this she shows me the credit card bill and i had had times before this event where I'm bottled so much stuff up that like I would just burst out crying. I'd just be this puddle on the floor, like just all of that emotion and everything just come out. And then I'm blaming everything else outside of the house because I on, on what mainly work. This is why I'm so upset and blah, 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 blah. And on the tip of my tongue, I'm just screaming for help. Help me stop. I just could never say the words. Well, that night, on the 13th, after she showed me that, I couldn't make up a story. You didn't want to. You'd reached the point where you didn't want to. I, I, I was, I was done. I couldn't make up a story. I didn't it, want to make up a story. Some extravagant excuse as to why I had gone to the liquor store that many times in a month. Mm-hmm. And bless her heart, as upset as she was. She still, she, 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 she didn't ask me to leave the house. Of course she's upset. I've just been lying to her for you know, half of our marriage. I think it wouldn't, this is only me talking. Yeah, it would be the lies. The lies would be bad, but it would be losing you personally. I think that would be the biggest hurt. Losing the man that she'd been married, that she was married to, and watching him slowly move away. That's the sort of disconnection, watching him disconnect from her and the children. Mm-hmm. That I'm not a psychologist, I don't even pretend to be. I'm just speaking as a woman. And I think that would be the biggest hurt that you'd bottled it all up. You'd got yourself to this point and you couldn't, she would be hurt that you couldn't come to her and talk to her about it. For sure. I, I was scared to hurt her. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. I was scared to, like, hon, I have a problem, right? Like, what is she going to think, you know? I didn't want to do that to her, but yet here I am doing that to her. Mm. You know what I mean? And... But so that day happened. And so she got to watch the man that she married just kind of disintegrate over, mm. you know, six, seven, six years anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, just slowly disappear. Leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just check right out. and mm-hmm. Mentally I, leave, but not physically leave. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a hard and, one. And so 
the, the next day or like that night, that night I poured everything out that I still had in the truck. Cause she asked me if I did. I, and, and I had stopped lying. I stopped lying. Right. Do you have anything in the truck? Yes, I do. Okay. Go and dump those out. Well, of course, you know, when I'm going to go out to the truck, I had to make an extra trip. I, 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 I went and dumped one bottle out and, and I took as big of a drink from that bottle as I could. And then when I went to go get the second one, when I could have made only one trip, I went, I made two and I opened it and took a drink out of it before I dumped it down the sink. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't, I still couldn't help myself. It's this, this feeling of helpless, helplessness over alcohol. Um, the times you stand in front of the mirror after having told yourself, I'm not going to do this again. And you stand there and you look at yourself and you think, why? Mm-hmm. Why? It, it's just this huge question, why? Why does this totally defeat me? Why does this one thing just totally defeat me? Mm-hmm. It's, it's heartbreaking what we put ourselves through. But when you did that, I know you took a couple of swigs before dumping it, but once it was gone and once it was out in the open, did you start to get a feeling of relief that it was, that, that, that the lid had come off it and everything was coming out? Yeah, it was like the next day, like it was, I was done. I, I had said it, you know, I hadn't mm-hmm. said that I'm an alcoholic, I, but I, I had said you know, I have a problem, right? Yeah. I admitted that I had a problem and I, and I said that I would go and get help. Right. So the next day I didn't, I, I, I stayed home and I went to figure out how I was going to get help. And that's, that's when I started going to AA. Mm-hmm. I went to my first AA meeting that night, right? I, I sent them an email that said, it's my time to put, put, put down the bottle. That was the, that was the title of the email yeah. that, that I wrote. And so I went to my first meeting and then I went to another one on the Wednesday and then by the, by, and then one on the Thursday this is my first week sober now and and like i felt horrible all week right i think that's a pretty common yeah. thing too right and and uh but you so, did, did you uh, during that first week i mean the first i always think the first two weeks are the worst and um one of my friends said it was the most painful time she'd ever been through she'd never gone through anything so painful as the first couple of weeks of coming off alcohol oh it was brutal oh it was horrible like there was there was no feeling good in there at all right Mm -mm. with all of the symptoms that came along with that and I still went to work I don't know how I did it but I still went to work and I tried to do my best with not being able to concentrate and just, you know, all of the physical symptoms that come along with it, that you, you're just, I was, I'm just crawling, mm-hmm. you know, just dragging my hind parts and to 
just trying to survive. And I think and, you did, did you switch your mind off at all and not and try not to think because thinking would involve thinking drinking. Um, I think some people say, I mean, I've spoken to people who say they go all out and they, they, they just stay busy, busy, busy. Me, I had to switch my mind off in a way. I, How did you do yours? I, yeah, I think if you, if, if, if you had to describe it was, was I didn't, I didn't want to think about anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, the yep. first thing I heard was one day at a time and keep coming back. And that's like, that was, that was it. I'm like, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what to do with myself. I feel horrible. All I want to do is sleep. Right. And not like, I like get me away from human contact. <laughs> <laughs> Try and get me some distance between this. Right. And like, we're in a pandemic as it is. Mm-hmm. So we're already in lockdown and that's still mm-hmm. not helping because I'm going to work and everything else. But you know. in a way, that's a good thing because it kept you occupied in, in some ways. It, 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 so many people struggled in lockdown because they were stuck in the house, you know, mm-hmm. and having to keep yourself occupied. So you still had your work. And if I remember rightly, one of your posts, your wife gave up alcohol with you. She was a normie, though, isn't she? I will say we did, we'll yeah, put this out there. She's a she's what we call a normie. She yeah. can take it or leave it. Yeah, she. We dumped everything in the house. We gave the wine away. Everything. So she quit. She quit with me. She went all in with me, and that's. I love her for it too. I mean, and she's been offered, you know, a glass of wine here or there. And she just says, no, she just, she, she has, I think she's honestly proud that she's done it too. Yeah. Right. And she doesn't want to wreck, you know, her own streak. (laughs) Sense of achievement building something for the girls as well from this oh um like i don't know it's you get past once you get past the first two weeks i once i got past the first two weeks the fog started to clear Mm -hmm. right and yep you could start concentrating a little bit more and you know i was just buried in aa and the only reason why I got on IAS to begin with was because I couldn't count how many days I was sober. Right. I just, I was like, I don't yeah. know. It's the 14th and, and, and what day is it today? It's the 26th. <laughs> how many days is that in between? How many Don't days ask me to start thinking. I'm just concentrating on getting through today. I just yeah. want to get through the next hour, you know? Yeah. So it's, it, it I downloaded it on the first, my first weekend. So mm-hmm. week one and week one in, in week one, I, we invited my wife's parents over for supper, like my third day sober. I think it was Wednesday. And we told, uh, I, I told her parents that I was an alcoholic. I, uh, we had them over for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I told my parents that first week that I was an alcoholic. 
I told my sister and brother-in-law and on the weekend we told, or I told her sister. So now all, all of my immediate family know that I'm an alcoholic. I'm a great believer in um, honesty, getting you through this, because if you can't be honest, you're not going to get that. You're not going to be able to do this. You have to be brutally honest. And did they all jump in and offer support and say they were with you? I asked for it. I well, asked that was huge it. then. That was huge because you said you, you were struggling to say, I need help. So here you are saying, I, I need yeah. help. Yeah, like. That first week, there was, was, I'm starting to tear up now. That's, we all done Um, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think the level of love, we get so frightened, like you were, you're just so frightened to open your mouth and say, I'm really struggling and I need some help. Once you finally do it, the, the amount of love that comes back at you is, it's gorgeous. It really is. And it's so it so helps you because you know then knowing that your your in-laws your parents um siblings etc you're not on your own you're no longer on your own battling this you'd battled it for so many years by yourself yep now you're no longer on your own and in all of that like i never real i, I never said out loud that I wanted to quit. Right. I never said, I, I never really, mm-hmm. really said, I'm going to try and quit drinking. Right. I mm-hmm. never did any of that. I just drank my way to where I ended up. Right. I, if I tried to stop, it would be good for two or three days until I felt good enough to. Oh, well, I've cleaned, yeah, I've cleaned my system out for a few days. I should be good. I should be able yes. to moderate now. <laughs> I didn't even try and moderate. I didn't. I didn't say like, no, I'm just going to go down to half a bottle a day. No, it did. That didn't happen. <laughs> like it would just went <clears throat> right. And then, I yeah, I stopped for three years. Wow. It took less than a week to end up back where I was. Wow. Mm, that's it. it. Took less than a week, and I was back exactly where I'd been before I stopped. So. Yeah. So you've got I, your, everybody's on board and you've got the yep. love and the support of your family, which is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. What I thought I, I, when I, I said, you know, I thought if, if I don't tell them and ask them for help, cause I, I'm going to need help. I, I, I can't do this by myself. It, it's not going to work. Right. I, can, I, I couldn't say mm-hmm. no to it to begin with. Right. The amount of times you turn around, yeah. even drive past the liquor store only to go to turn around and go back to it. Right. I can't do this by myself. I mean, I couldn't drive home from work the first day by myself. I was so scared to drive home on my on that first day back to work because I always drank in the truck. Mm-hmm. that I had to pick up. I was more scared to drive home than I was to pick up the phone and call a stranger. The first number that I got on my first AA meeting. 
I picked up the phone and called that person because I was literally sat in my truck and I was white knuckling. I held the driver. I like, I held the steering wheel and I didn't know. I, I, I couldn't start. I couldn't start it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I was just so scared to drive home. So I ended up calling him and I, I drove home. And it was, Did he talk to you while you were driving home to help you drive all the way, home? Yeah. Hand, all the way. Hands free in, in the truck all, and he talked to me all the way home. And that's mm-hmm. all I needed was to talk to somebody because I forgot after I started talking to him, I forgot that I was scared of driving mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. It, it, it changed. So every day after that, I called him on my way home. And I still do. Yeah. For the most part, I still call the same guy on my way home. Not because I need to call him, because I want to. I want to say hi. Like, yeah. Right? That man was a gift. These things come to us when we really need them. Um, I found I am sober right when I needed it. I mean, I was, I, I don't know. I did, I did my story. I told mine way back at the beginning of um, the Sober Town podcast. And um, I, I reached a point where I didn't want to live. If this was living, I just did not want it because you're not living, are you? No. It isn't a life. Not so, at all. are you doing the steps in AA? Or yes, you are doing the steps. I am doing the steps, and you're doing step twelve every day. In every time you put your post in, um, I am sober. You're doing your. You're deep diving into yourself when you do your posts on I Am Sober. Yeah. It's, your inventory. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on officially step four, but yeah. I, mean, I, I think every post is a whole bunch of steps. Right? It is. And we don't realize we're doing them most of the time because uh, I had a conversation and I said, every time you put something motivational, you're doing step 12 because you're, you're encouraging the next person coming along and reaching back. So once you'd got through that first couple of weeks, how did you start to feel? Oh, I started to get a lot more. I started getting energy, right? Mm-hmm. My head wasn't quite right, but I, I started feeling like, you know, I, I started having energy to do stuff. I just didn't know what to do. So, I mean, my second weekend sober, because I had the energy, but I didn't know what to do, I decided to make bread. I saw some of your brioche. (laughs) (laughs) That looks absolutely awesome. So, (laughs) you're now a baker. So, you started to make bread. Yeah. Yeah, I started to make, I started to make bread and, uh, it was probably bread's got a pretty close place in my heart mm-hmm. because it, it, it stopped the chaos of, I, I, I wrote this down. It stopped, I, I read it. It stopped the chaos of nothingness. 
it it stopped it all like it i was i i turned the music on and then and i got to concentrate on something i got to put effort into something i got to it gave it gave me success right even though one day at a time one day at a time didn't feel like a success because it felt like garbage right after I made that first loaf of bread and then and it just got, it's everything about it was like all the simple stuff was like a win. I won. I cleaned the counter, right? I won. I, the bread rose. You know what I mean? Like it did it. I did it. I finally something I could hold on to. A visual. Yeah. And so I started making it more because I could relax. I could, my, my brain would just, my mind would shut off completely. And I finally could, could give back to the house. Like I, I wasn't doing anything. I was going to meetings. I was going to work and, you know, I think you have to at the beginning, because mm-hmm. you have to, uh, as they say, you have to be extremely selfish with your sobriety Yeah, and you really do have to work it. You can't just sit back and let sobriety come to you. It just doesn't work that way. No. You have to immerse yourself into your sobriety. And it does, at times we do feel a bit selfish because we put ourselves, bef- while we don't put ourselves before everybody else, we put our sobriety at the front because it's, yeah. it's vital. Because when you really, really want this, it is a selfish. You have to be selfish. So you go into AA. Did you get yourself a sponsor? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good person you can relate to. You can imagine who my sponsor is. The same guy I talked to on, on the van my, when you were driving home. On my yeah. ride home. Yeah. You made a connection. And as we say in <laughs> The only way out of the addiction is to make connections and you make connections with people who know exactly what you're going through and exactly what you're feeling on any given day. And you're starting to make bread. And like, it sounds like you, you making your bread is similar to me going on my walks in the morning for that hour. Earphones go in and there's me outside and nobody else. And that's where I put my, that's, that's where I, organize my mind so you wrote a beautiful post about bread and the analogies so tell us what you if you if you can remember it oh uh, it's it i don't about i don't bread, really the well, yeast oh yeah the yeast being me right like the, the, yeah. the growth right like you, you you have to create the environment for the yeast to grow. You have to, mm-hmm. everything you have to set up for it to grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you don't do all of that at the beginning, then you're not going to end up with the bread. Right. And then I'm, you're going to have to help me out here. Cause I'm, I haven't got it in front of me, but yeah. you do. You do some beautiful posts on I Am Sober that people can resonate with because you use a lot of analogies. And that's what a lot of us in the sober community do is 
we take everyday situations and we look at it from our sobriety eyes. And like I said, I had this this weekend and I ended up using ACT. And I don't know if you've heard of ACT. ACT is awareness, clarify and turn around. But I call it clarity because I become aware of what is going on in me, in my emotions and what's going on with me. And then I use clarity to settle my mind. And then I turn around a negative and make it a positive. You went, you're a hockey, you love your hockey. And yep. you regularly go to your neighbors to watch. I'm assuming because I don't know if the Leafs are a hockey team. So I'm assuming it's a hockey team. Yeah. And your neighbor, bless his heart, you, you were totally honest with him. You told him you weren't drinking. Yep. So what I, did he do? He I told yeah, I told him I was an alcoholic and he just put the beer away. He just he offered me a beer and I said no thanks. And like my wife and I had talked about it and like him and I that's a thing that him and I did was we we drank out. Mm-hmm. And and I, I missed one one weekend, one hockey, and I was like, no, I didn't feel good. I wasn't ready to even go and see anybody at that point in time, but I wanted to get out of the house. And my wife, bless her heart too, was like, you should go. You should go. Like, go. And I was like, I think I'm 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 gonna tell him. Right. And so yeah, I, I told him and because he offered me a beer and I told him and he just put both beers away. He didn't even have one. And then we just Every weekend after that, you just kept on inviting me back. You come on over to watch the game? Yep. You come on over to watch the game? Yep. And I'd bring my soda water or whatever it is, offer me pop, you name it. Like, And I just felt he just made me feel like I was okay. And I think the more you do it, the more it feels normal to you. It's, yeah. you know, you don't have to drink is what no. we, we reach. And you now love your mornings because you're no longer puking. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yes. Yeah. You are connecting so much with the with the littles, the little girls. Yep. Um, the bicycle. I loved reading about the bicycle. Easter yeah. morning. Yeah. So my my first daughter, uh, I go and drop something off at my neighbor's house, and he had bought his his kids new bicycles so he gave his daughter's bicycle to my daughter and she didn't have a bike really that was quite big enough she like the training wheels fine but once something she grew like a bad weed over the winter they do <laughs> yeah they go they go all right for a while and all and of a sudden up they go and mm-hmm. like this is still early in sobriety too, and I, I, and she saw that bike and her eyes lit up, like you wouldn't believe. And she wanted to ride that thing, and it's like, all right, here we go. We get to, you know, we get to try and run around the block mm-hmm. and teach teach my daughter how to do this. And and it wasn't halfway around the block, and. Boom. She was off to the races. I let go and off she goes. And she did not want to stop riding that bike. So off I 
got an app on my phone that can uh, track the distance and your speed. And so I was like, I'm going to start tracking this just for fun. I hop on my bike and we ride around the block. I, I don't know how many times we rode around the block, but like she just kept on wanting to go, 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 go that morning, just ride around the block. So I'm, I'm okay with it. And then she, we go in, eat lunch. And that afternoon she want to go back out again. We did that same distance again. Like mm-hmm. she, that she was glowing from ear to ear. And you know what? She could have rode that bike all day. I would have rode, uh, I would have rode my bike. Right How did you feel? Oh, I felt amazing. Like just like, like a dad. I, yeah. I got to be there. <laughs> you were like, you were a dad that day. Yeah. yeah. That gave those, that gave her a beautiful Easter memory. She's going to remember that one. And that gave me a beautiful Easter. <laughs> yeah, this is it. What you do, This is what you're doing now. Because recently, well, recently, less than a week ago, is it a week or is it a week and a half? I can't remember now. I'm old. You, I keep, I keep calling it the Magnificent Seven. Oh, yeah. That was, the Magnificent that was... Seven, because you... Here we go with connections. You've made some beautiful connections in the I Am Sober community. You've started hosting Zooms. You are giving so much to the community itself, the I Am Sober community. You connect. You you look after people. You are giving back big time in this community. And you arranged a wonderful get-together. Um, I will tell people, uh, Steve is in Canada, so he actually got together. He put it out there to get together with some people that he'd made friends with on the app. Do you want to tell us about that one? Yeah, so it's it started, the the birthplace was the idea, for the idea was when I started going to the Zooms. So I went to the Zoom. I only I went to two Zoom meetings and then it just so happened to be they were looking for somebody to host September. Right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of had this like my gut was telling me that you sh- Steve you should do this. Right? My heart was telling me to do it. My my head was arguing. And was it going to be out of your comfort zone? You yes. about to step out of your comfort zone? Yeah, and there I am standing right on the edge of that comfort zone, and I didn't want to turn away. Like I didn't. I could, I, the more I thought about it, the more I just said, "Just do it. Just, just you can do it." Like, just do it. Give it a try. Right? So I threw my name in the ring and I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and I realized, and this is when I, you know, pay, paying more attention, how many people were actually in Ontario 
that we lived, we didn't live that far apart. Mm -hmm. And I thought like there's nine or 10 of us that could easily meet up. Well, wouldn't that be cool? So, you know, make, make some, make more connections and, and, and that sort of thing. And run the idea past a couple of people that are in the area. Like, would you go? Yes. Would you go? Yes, absolutely. Like resounding yeses. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. I'm going to try and pick a place in between here and there, uh, here, like kind of in the middle of where everybody was geographically. And that's where we're going to go. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll plan the meet. I wanted to plan it before the weather got bad. And so that was the, that was the birth birthplace of it. Cause there was enough of us on the zoom meetings from Ontario that really made me think of the idea. And I, 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 I have, I have so much fun. I started having so much fun hosting the zoom meetings but i think it was like that by the second week of september i was like yeah i'm pulling the trigger on this mm -hmm. i'm gonna pull the trigger on this and so yeah i did and we ended up having seven people join us and that was just oh the most awesome day it was so so awesome i think it's just so nice to be physically present with mm -hmm. some of the people that have been there with you, supported you, you supported them. You know, when you've had a bad day, they've come on and they've, they've motivated you. When they have a bad day, you go and you motivate them. This is what we say about finding your tribe. You do find your tribe. Mm -hmm. And the Zooms are so, so good for this. And you're still doing your baking. You're still making your bread. Mm -hmm. I, I made a special, special treat for the people at the, that I did meet. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I made a salted maple brioche. Ooh, very, very nice. I yes. actually have, there's a, a girl at my, my husband's clinic and her husband is Canadian. And I actually made a, um, oh, it's a, a Canadian cheesecake for him for uh, Canada Day. God, I can't remember what it was called. That was a few years ago. So I did make him a special cheesecake <laughs> as best I could. I think Delicious. it's, uh, yeah, I do. I do. I make cheesecakes. But um, no, I, how are you feeling in your sobriety? How would you say that you are feeling in your sobriety now? You're coming up on seven months. I, I have no desire to drink alcohol whatsoever. Like I, I feel like I just need to, I don't know what do you want to call it. Confidence. I'm confident that I'm in the right place and I'm doing the right things. I'm putting in the work. I'm doing everything I need to do for to myself. Stay sober. Yeah. To stay sober and, like I, I love, like I said, I love the zoom meetings. I have, I have a blast. Like 
I do. It's like I wake up, it's Christmas morning on Tuesdays, right? Yeah. And everybody seems to be enjoying it too. So that just makes me want to do it more. You had 40 people at this week's Zoom meeting. That's That was huge. And I think, like we say, the connections, and um, we post and people post back and respond. But to see the, to actually see the, pa- the person in, in person sort of thing, Mm-hmm. and put a face to the, the name that's uh, responding to you. I think that makes it so much more special. Um, oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't get to too many Zoom meetings. Like I said to you, the Tuesday one, that wakes me up. It takes me ages to wind down because I get all fired up mm-hmm. because it's just, it's just such a wonderful social event. And I think talking with people that totally understand us um, because a lot of people who are not alcohol dependent, they don't understand what this is about and, and because they don't struggle with having to monitor their drinks. And I've, right. reached, a, yeah, and I've reached a point now where I have a fear of ever drinking again. I don't have the fear of never drinking. I have a fear of ever drinking again. A hundred percent. That's, that's where I'm at. I, I, I have a, I have a healthy fear of what would happen if I, if I picked up the first drink. I I I had a conversation with somebody about that. I said, we, we said the same thing, right? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to meet that man again, that, that Mm -hmm. man back there. I don't like, I'll tell you, I don't think I can point to anything in my life where I have put so much effort into than into my sobriety. Because, as they say in AA, it works if you work it. Mm-hmm. So work it because you're worth it. And it's so true. We're worth it. We're worth a good life. Mm-hmm. We're worth a happy life. You've got a wife that is worth a good husband and girls that are worth a good dad. So it's there. Yeah, I get to I get to be a dad again. And mm-hmm. that and, and I ride get to, bicycles. And I, and I get to be a husband. <laughs> and I get to be a husband again. Right? I don't yeah. and, and one of the things that happens when in this, and I always say that there is it takes a long time to build the trust back up again because some of the trust gets broken. But when a couple are strong, the foundation of the marriage, et cetera, or the relationship to me, if it's strong, you can work your way through it. And you are working your way through it. And God bless your wife. I love her to bits for standing by you and for giving up, up, you know, the alcohol I understand the emotions that go with this. You are a beautiful man and you're a good dad and you're a good husband. And I thank you for coming here and talking to me. We will have a catch up very, very soon and we will carry on our conversation because I have so enjoyed it. Oh, me too. I now count you as a friend. Um, Is that what it took? (laughs) (laughs) 
count you as a friend. I mean, I, I have so many virtual friends now and I absolutely love it. And one of these days, maybe I'll get to uh, meet some of these people in person. One thing that's coming up, and I'm going to ask you about it, it's Thanksgiving weekend, isn't it, for you guys? It certainly is. So it'll be your first sober Thanksgiving? Yep. Absolutely. Looking forward to it? Oh, yeah. Guess guess what I'm going to make this weekend? You are making brioche. Yes. In all likelihood, <laughs> I will be making... I've already been... The request has already been made. And you're making waffles on Saturday morning. In all likelihood, yes, I'll be making yes, waffles Yes, you'll be on making Saturday waffles. Morning. Yes. Yeah. You're gathering kitchen equipment as well. Yes, I'm gathering. The way. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my mother. My mother has... When I first started making bread, my mom, she, I, I was just kneading the dough by hand. I was doing everything by hand, and which was probably pre- pretty good because you know I, you get to really feel the consistency of it all. Mm-hmm. And I you, love making bread. You get it right. You get right into the nitty gritty of it, and she, my mom, realized this, and she get she bought me a sober gift and it was absolutely beautiful she bought me uh, a KitchenAid stand mixer and it just showed up my she bought it on amazon and it just showed up at my front door like here you go son like that's love that's love she's proud of you and I, I, it's it's all justified because you're working hard at this don't make me cry <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me cry. Don't make me. It's it's a very emotional thing. And actually crying for me is the best because sometimes the emotion just gets so big inside. It's hard to hold. So the only way I can let it out is through my eyes start leaking. So that's how I do it. I thank you so much for doing this with me this evening. Um, And we're going to pull into the into the sober station and we're going to climb off this train i am going to talk with you again very very soon and we're going to carry on this conversation and i have no doubt you are going to be a huge help and influence to people coming along on this sober journey you're going to reach your hand back and you're going to pull the next one along i have no doubt of it because that's the kind of person you are you're giving back and you're paying back so I wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful to have met you tonight in person. Well, virtually. I'm thankful to have met you. And I wish you, your family, all your family, a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you very much for this. Thank you so much too, Polly. This was an awesome experience. It is. I love doing this. So thank you and good evening. Good evening to you too.